people pay good money to see this movie. When they go out to a theater, they want cold sodas, hot popcorn, and no monsters in the projection booth. Everyone pretend podcasting isn't boring. Turn it off. Welcome, ladies. I'm Jasper McDane. I'll be your pilot. This is awesome. Thailand! This is cool! Shot! Bags arrive. No clothes. This bag looks just like mine. We have to call Jasper. There is something off about him. I say we do one. Just one. You make me drop like rain. Where's our little bloodhound? Daisy, we're coming for ya! We have to do something. Timon, Timon, we have to call the cops. Tomorrow noon. Bring the product and I'll bring your friend. If we call anyone, she's dead. We need to handle this. We're going to get a call in a minute. You're gonna answer the phone, read exactly what I wrote. We have what you want. But we also have a very particular set of skills. Skills that make us a nightmare for people like you. Let our friend go now, but if you don't, we will find you. And we will kill you. That was awesome! What next? Then the all gets real. She's crazy. Hey folks, welcome to a special episode of The Projection Booth. I'm your host, Mike White. On this episode, I am talking with Jordan Gertner. He is the writer and director of the new film, She Rose. It is an action film starring some very kick-ass ladies. The film releases on June 23rd, 2023. Definitely check it out, and I hope you enjoy the interview. How did you decide to get into the business? I decided to get into the business purely through my love of movies. There was no place I enjoyed going more than to the theater as a kid and just getting lost in these different worlds that were created. And I just loved that experience so much. I knew I needed to be a part of it in some way. As I got older, I continued seeing movies until eventually I found myself on a set one day and I was a part of bringing that kind of world to someone else to enjoy. You made some really interesting things out of the gate. Stuff that I still talk about today, obviously Buffalo 66, Modern Vampires, but I woke up early the day I died. That has been a favorite of mine for years. My goodness, that's so wonderful to hear. Not many people have been able to track that one down, but that was a great film to make and and an amazing experience to be a part of building something out that Ed Wood was a part of. What was that even like to work on a movie where there was no dialogue? It was amazing. And it was incredibly well embraced by the actors who wanted to be a part of it. And we had so many great people just coming in for the day, wanting to be a part of this journey that we created. And Billy Zane was the lead in that, did an amazing job and just was the right person for this. Billy's such an incredibly talented actor seeing him bring that character into life was just inspiring and was a really fun ride to be a part of a film that essentially had no dialogue. 
And how did you get involved with The Killer Inside Me? Uh, the Killer Inside Me was a book that the company that I was a part of had option rights to. And there were many different incarnations of directors and scripts that had floated around. And at one point, Michael Winterbottom had reached out with some interest in directing the film. And everyone collectively decided like that was a great way to go. So that was the first film that we had done with, we did with Michael. And, you know, he put together a great cast with Casey and Jessica Alba and, and Kate Hudson, Casey Affleck, and created a very powerful and strong film is, you know, one of the, one of my favorites that I feel fortunate to be a part of. Can you tell me a little bit about London Fields? From what I remember, there's actually, are there different versions of that film or, or what's the story with that one? There were a few different versions of that movie. Everybody collectively was trying to figure out how to make the best version of that film. So through that process, there were several different versions of the movie made. And yeah, that this sometimes... You're trying to crack the nut and figure out what works best. Now, with Shiro's, is this your first time directing? This is my first time directing, yes. What led you to move from the just solely producer to now both writing and directing? Like I said, as a kid, I loved movies and I wanted to be a part of that storytelling process. And I thought at a young age, I wanted to be an actor. And then I went to film school and I wanted to be a director. And then I moved to LA and I started producing. So I figured it was time to start working my way backwards. When COVID hit, I knew I had some time to focus on what I really wanted to be doing, was, which was directing movies. I no longer had any desire to act. And I spent some time writing and worked on my script and got it to a place where I knew that I should be able to get this finance and distribution if I can cast it and worked with a casting directing team that I'd known for years, Mary Vernou and Brett Howe. And met incredibly talented and wonderful actors and was able to connect with four of them that I thought were just really right for this film. And we were able to go out and get it financed and shot and now comes out in the ne next month. The movie looks fantastic. It looks terrific. Well, thank you. I worked with an incredibly talented cinematographer, which Chaos, who was my partner on this film, who I could really like lean on. He was a director himself and he worked in the action world. So it was a collaborative effort with me being able to communicate like what I needed, what I wanted, and him being able to facilitate what was in my brain and make that a reality. So I feel very fortunate to be able to have worked with him on this movie. Can you tell me a little bit about your editor as well? Because again, the movie is so well-paced and just super tight. My editor was a man by the name of Joe Plenty, who's incredibly talented. And Joe and I were on the same page. It's we want to create a really fun ride here. We want you to get on the roller coaster, go up the hill, zip back down, have a couple loop-de-loops that you don't expect, and then all of a sudden it's over and you're smiling. We're making the movie for everybody that's going to watch the movie. If I have a favorite shot in the movie and it doesn't need to be in there, it's not in the movie. If I have a favorite scene in the movie that doesn't need to be there, it's not there. So we were very much on the same page in terms of tempo, pacing, Let's not leave a second for anybody to get bored. People's attention spans aren't what they used to be. People are distracted very easily. So let's craft a movie in the edit that doesn't give people the opportunity to pull the ripcord. When did you actually shoot this? We shot this in January of last year. We were in the crux of COVID, and that was probably the biggest challenge we had in front of us in terms of making the film. 
but we were able to navigate it. We were safe. We followed protocols. We were very fortunate that nobody got COVID. Nobody got sick. That was an issue we had in front of us. There was, when I had first arrived to Thailand, there was a quarantine period of 15 days. And once I was through that, I was able to focus on production. And by the time the actors came to Thailand, it was an easier process. For your first time in the director's chair, let's shoot in a foreign country too. I had written the script for another country and people had said, would you be interested in shooting in Thailand? And I said, well, I'm certainly open to checking it out. And as soon as I got there, within minutes, there was no question I was making the movie there. Phuket was an incredibly beautiful location. And for me, location was really important to this. You know, you wanted to feel like you were somewhere exotic. You wanted to feel like you were out of the US. You were far away from everybody that you know and that you love and any source of help from home. And as soon as I saw what it looked like there, I was sold. And then I met the people. And the people were just so incredibly kind and nice and smart and talented and resourceful that having the opportunity to make the film there, to me, after being there on my first trip, was a gift. How was it when you actually got to see the actors saying things that you had written for them? Yeah, it's funny you ask that. That was the most beautiful thing. And that was a very surreal, emotional experience for me because I'm sitting at my home office, I'm typing away, I'm writing some things that I look at my screen and I laugh to myself thinking, we're never going to be able to do this. And then all of a sudden I'm on a location and these incredibly talented performers are saying these words that I wrote in this location that I crafted. And this idea that came out of my head that migrated to paper is now this reality in front of me is an experience that I never thought I would ever feel. And it's hard to explain it, but it's really beautiful to see. And to also know that this is coming to life in a way that people are going to spend their time and potentially their money to go and watch. So it's pretty amazing. Let's feel nice too, to have all of these people put their trust in you to give you the money to make it, but then also to be there for you with this project, to say those words and not be like, actually, this would sound better. And you know what? And at times they would say that. And I was like, absolutely. Because I operate on the assumption that like, always know you're not the smartest person in the room. It doesn't matter who is, just know it's not you. If you can defer to the people that know what they're doing better than you, I think you set yourself up for success. So from the acting standpoint, if the actors want to try something or feel like their character would do something, I want to create the freedom for them to do it because nine out of 10 times, they're going to think of something that I didn't think of. And just because I didn't think of it doesn't mean it's not way better than what I thought. And that's where we got some of the real gems in the movie. So I said to them, my screenplay is a blueprint. Let's bring this to life. That's pretty fantastic. And that's a great attitude to have. And I'm sure you've seen where that's been successful in the past or possibly a failure when it's not adhered to. No, absolutely. It's about navigating what you have in front of you, but also having trust in everybody and collaborating. Everybody makes the film together. Nobody makes the film themselves. Like the director is just one part of 200 people that are working on the movie. Without person 198, the movie sucks. We're all on a team. We're collectively working together. It's a collaboration and it's about trust and communication. And when you have that with everybody, you have very little stress, very little pressure, and you have a lot of smiles and laughter. And it creates a very 
an experience that you're appreciative of and you're grateful for. When did you have Final Picture Lock? We locked the movie, goodness, I would say in November. All right. And what was the, what's been the history since then? I also have to ask that now because it used to be we're done. We go to either film festivals or we get released. But now with the world of streaming and on demand, like every movie has a different path. Paramount was incredibly supportive of the movie and they wanted to get involved. So we knew that we would be working with them as our distribution partner on the film. So once the film was delivered, it went to them. And they've crafted out a great distribution strategy. And the movie comes out June 23rd in select theaters and streaming. We had a great partner in this early on. Have you gotten to see the movie with an audience yet? I have seen the movie with an audience. And it was a great experience. I got to watch it with the crew that we worked with in Thailand, actually, which was amazing. And tonight, actually, I'm going to see the film as well with an audience back here in LA, which will be incredibly exciting. Yeah, what I love to do is actually watch people watch the movie. And then, you know, when it's, if it's working or if it's not working. So what's next for you? I have a film that I wrote with a writing partner called Cam 48. And that's a story of a young woman who's in betting and gambling on sports. And she's into a lot of money with a lot of bookies. And she inadvertently finds a camcorder or a pawn shop that films 48 hours in the future. So she uses this camcorder to her advantage until she inadvertently films her own murder and has 48 hours to figure out where this camera came from and who's after her. Another fun and crazy ride with some twists and turns that should leave you with a smile. Congratulations on She Rose, and I look forward to seeing that again, and I hope that everybody within the sound of my voice checks it out because it's a great ride. Like you said, it's a thrill ride. Awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate you taking the time to see the film, and I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Great talking with you, Mr. Gertner. Thank you so much. I can't stop wondering why God made me a woman. Sometimes I hate it. But if I could change, I know I probably wouldn't. Cause all I see is shearers around me, I'm accustomed to thinking that this thing between my legs makes me more than just someone. Sometimes I ask myself, why me? Did I deserve this life? Why do I have this mind, this name, these skills, if I have to give them up and sacrifice? For some people it's easy. They're born, they prosper and thrive. But this thing between my legs, forces me to survive. If I was born a couple of centuries ago, people would have called me a witch. They would have asked me why I'm having sex out of marriage, why I don't want to have kids. They would have burned me or tied me up and thrown me into a ditch. Today they say and do exactly the same things, but instead they call me a bitch. So I'm here to say stop, cause I've been given the gift of being outspoken. I ain't got nothing to lose, you can't shatter something that's already broken. And though you've trespassed against me, or my little sisters that door won't be open, we're coming in troops, I'm pussy power, pussy power is our slogan. We've been forced to leave our dreams in the corner of the kitchen counter. Forced to stay still, quiet down when we try to get louder. Getting served what nobody wants, our fruits are mostly bitter and sour. We're exhausted from working three times more and still getting paid less by the hour. 
So can we start by accepting the privilege exists? Cause if we look down, our place don't weigh the same, let's admit. And even though we don't choose what we get, we can still try to question it, balance and split. Make space for each other, even when they say we don't fit. We gotta get rid of the gaps. The ones that concern our paychecks, but also the ones around pleasure. Cause today, having an orgasm feels more like a statement than a leisure. Like we gotta explore our bodies, redefine them and show them off as a way to confront censor. We want to show the value of this thing between our legs, cause its power is beyond measure. And there's so much pressure, and so many contradictions on what's meant to be right. And no matter how we dress, how we talk will always be considered praise at sight. Not even rape can satisfy their appetite. Ask one woman out of three what it's like to be traumatized. Ask them if they can take back what they've been through, what they've seen. Ask the 87,000 women who were murdered in 2017. Put all the faces of the victims up on magazines. Cause diets and recipes are no more important than showing what having this thing between our legs actually means. So when they tell us to start wearing mini skirts or ripped jeans. To protect the world from images that are obscene. They're just diverting attention from the four million girls in their teens that are sold every year for slavery, prostitution or marriage like there's some kind of machine. Do people see us as humans or are we just toys instead? Why is our blood put to shame? Does having a uterus make us impaired? They don't mind giving us toxic products to insert in our bodies and pull out with a thread. I swear this thing between our legs doesn't deserve the treatment that it gets. And we can't control something that comes back every month. Isn't that what you'll want though? For us to believe that we'll be complete once we become a mom? So instead of celebrating our bodies and showing us that we're strong, you use this thing between our legs to insult people, call them pussies and cunts. And I turn to look at images of women like me in the past. And I keep wondering how long this fight is gonna last. Apparently there's still 135 years left to reach real equality. How can we make them go fast? Cause when they curse our sex toys and masturbation, they're actually denying us the right to knowledge and education. And as they control our periods and stages of ovulation, they offer this thing between our legs for mutilation. So let's stop it with the fake debates And let's talk about the 200 million women who were cut open with a blade Let's talk about domestic violence And how financial dependence can force one to silence How black eyes, marital rape and the mental load are as real as science Let's talk about how this thing between our legs has forced us to compliance And these are just some of the few problems that we face Cause no matter where we're at, who we're with, we can never feel safe. So believe me when I say, this thing between our legs is our only faith. Cause if there was a choice, why would God make a woman? And I go out of my way to say that not all sheroes wear a vulva. And despite what they say, living without us, no they couldn't. Cause if we didn't exist, tell me who woulda. <laughs>